What would you do if you were 21 years old and facing another 40 years in prison? Would you further turn to a life filled with crime? Would you change nothing about yourself and your decisions and continue putting yourself in terrible situations? Or would you choose to get your life together and use it as time to focus on what you can do with your life afterwards? And would you focus on a craft and skill that can not only change your life, but maybe one day save it? This is going to be the story of a man that went from having to own his own decisions to choosing to own his own business. This man is a true inspiration to so many people. He has dedicated a life and a career to fitness. And when you hear him talk, you'll just hear his love of jujitsu just oozing from every fiber in his body. It's an honor to not only get the chance to have him as my first guest on the show, but an even bigger honor to call him a great personal friend of mine. I'm excited for you to hear how Evan Robinson went from a troubled past to being a leader and role model in our community. And you hear how he did this and how he stayed fit one day at a time. So, Evan, how are you doing out there today? I'm good, brother. I'm good. I'm chilling, watching the rainfall, <laughs> enjoying the day. How you doing? I'm doing great, man. Thanks. It's awesome to have you. Uh, I know we were trying to do this uh, live, but just things not uh, permitting, still working on getting new things set up for the, uh, getting set thing, things set up with shop, but uh, we'll eventually get there. But um, yeah, so uh, what's... Uh, What's the uh, last physical activity that you did yourself? I know you uh, you have a lot of other things that you work with other people, but what's the last thing you did for yourself? Uh, for myself, I just went uh, deep sea fishing uh, last weekend. Nice, nice, awesome. Uh, so, uh, Evan, why don't you uh, why don't you tell me a little bit about where you're from, where you grew up? You know, a little bit about your childhood and where you're from. I got gotcha. you. Um, let's see. Uh, I was born in New York, in, in New York City. Um, when I was born, uh, my mother joined the military. So between the ages of birth to about 14, maybe 14, 13, 14, I pretty much traveled from Air Force Base to Air Force Base to Air Force Base with her. Um, and pretty much from that, from the traveling, I think, I forget what year it was, but uh, somehow my mother ended up at Willow Grove uh, Naval Base outside of, outside of Philly, um, 6 to 11, I believe that is. And uh, she, she moved to uh, Easton. She bought a house in Easton. And then uh, from there, we, uh, it's kind of how I got to Pennsylvania, <laughs> is uh, from her being stationed at, uh, it's funny, because she's in the Air Force, but she was stationed at a naval base so i guess they kind of had some kind of joint thing going on but uh that's how i made it to pa through through the military traveling with my mother nice so uh i know you uh eventually ended up getting yourself into some uh some trouble at a young age but why don't you tell me a little bit about your uh your high school years and your later teen years up until that uh that unfortunate day okay uh high school wise teen i think i think like I think for me, growing up, I was always trying to fit in with everybody else, if that makes any sense. Yeah, for sure. I, I was I was definitely that kid that uh, I always, always like to just try and, and be cool with everybody. And that can also make for a recipe for disaster. <laughs> but <laughs> I just, you know, I, I, I've always wanted to just be cool with everybody. Um, high school, pretty much the same, uh, elementary school, high school, when I wasn't on the Air Force base, when, when I got like the, uh, Belvedere high school and Easton high school, I didn't, I didn't, I, I didn't, I didn't really have any, any troubles or anything like that. I kind of, I kind of fit in just not in every circle, even though I might've tried, but I, I mean, I really didn't have too many, too many issues. Okay. Okay. So, uh, when you ended up what was there anything in in your later years or you know around that 18 19 20 year old age where you started getting in some trouble or um did the night we're going to talk about was that just kind of like a spur of the moment and the first time you ever found yourself being arrested and getting in trouble no no i see what you're saying no as i i think 
okay, I think the best way to say it, because I was always trying to fit in with people, uh, when I normally talk about my early days, I always say I didn't know. On Monday, I might have been Biggie Smalls. On Tuesday, I might have been Tupac. And on Wednesday, I might have been Evan Robinson. <laughs> I was always just trying to fit in and be with the cool crowd, per se. And I, and, and in my younger years, I was really impressionable. Um, a lot of the cooler guys that I thought were the, the stuff, a lot of them were always in, in their own thing. And getting in not saying they were all getting into trouble but though that seemed to be the crowd i kind of uh gravitated towards i wanted to be down with the the thug the thug cool dude who could fight and all this good stuff because I, I really wasn't the best fighter <laughs> so i i think uh i think I, I was uh trying to be more around them trying to be you know at that time i guess walk with my chest out be tough <laughs> Yeah, no, un unfortunately, I uh, know that a little all too well as well. Uh, I'm not the biggest guy as well, so I used to try and hang around the big guys, and uh, <laughs> Napoleon Complex is a real thing sometimes. <laughs> yeah, <it is. laughs> so uh, why don't you go ahead and uh, tell our listeners about about the unfortunate night, the night that uh, pretty much changed the rest of your life. Okay, um, so one night, well, I, I should put it like this. Uh, before, before the night kind of leading up, I was always, I was always that dude. I've always kept a job. I always worked, um, and, and started hanging around bad influences. <laughs> so at the time I was working, uh, downtown Easton at a place called Sneaker Zone that had just moved in. I believe the year was, uh, I believe Sneaker Zone moved downtown Easton around 95-ish, 90 uh, 90, I'll say it was 96, actually, maybe 95, 96. Just. Um, and yeah, I remember that place. Yeah. Yeah. They had a second location up in Allentown up in Tillman square. And then they built a, uh, a location in Easton, but it, it was, it was during this time at sneaker zone that I started seeing a lot of the, the elements of the so-called, the, the guy who was getting all the money, all the hustlers were coming in and, and buying all the sneakers and all the outfits in one sitting. And and I, I, I don't know if it was all my idea or just the people I listened to or a combination of all, but one day it kind of, it kind of came up like, we should start robbing the dealers. <laughs> oh man. Because, you know, when you're young, you start seeing money and don't get me wrong. When you're, you know, it's, it seems like a lot of money. And for some people it was, it was a lot of money. You see, but it's not the lifestyle. Like you, you think, put out a thousand dollars to buy all sneakers, and and for some strange reason, this kind of impresses. I like I said, I don't know if I was Biggie Smalls or Tupac this day, but it just seemed like, yo, we should rob the drug dealers because they can't go to the police, and it's not like it's a crime. We're we're doing some Robin Hood stuff, so we're keeping for ourselves. <laughs> like like, there's no way we can get caught for this. <laughs> so. Uh, Makes sense. Uh, me and a couple guys, we know we went out one night, and uh, unfortunately, uh, we did a we did a we did a robbery. We did a, a we did a robbery. Um, took the money. We didn't take drugs, and I, at least I didn't take any of the drugs. But uh, we took we took the the money, and nobody was hurt. Nobody was killed or nothing like that. We took the money and ran. Very important for everybody to know nobody was yeah, hurt. Yeah, I, I don't want anybody to think we went in there guns a blazing type deal. But uh, yeah, we we took the the money and 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 as a young man, you don't think about everything or the consequences, and and you think you have everything covered, and you can out think everybody, but you can't and. After the robbery, after the police were called and everything and detectives and they felt they felt like grown men and we were still thinking like young boys and we got caught. Yeah, um, that, hmm? that, that's really crazy because even just um, thinking back apart about the, the part, you know, even just going in there with guns and like I said, just it is it's although it's so important for everybody to know that nobody was hurt. It's just crazy to think because you. I mean, I, I can't say 100%, but I, I would almost assume 
you probably went in with the mentality that 100% no one's going to get hurt. But it's so scary, too, because they could have immediately responded with any type of weapons, and then you never know. And then it could have easily turned into, yes, you know, somebody could have easily been hurt. And, you know, it's, it's crazy because when you look back at that, it's like jail is almost like a best case or a better case scenario when you look at some of the alternatives that could have happened that night. Right. And when you see, you, you know, it's funny when you're younger, you don't think about those things. You really don't. Um, being that I was charged with robbery, uh, I don't look at my time. Like a lot of people were really mad at the amount of time that I did and when I got sentenced for. But as I got older, it's kind of like what you said. Um, I looked at it like when you when you do a robbery, especially when you go to somebody's home, when you're young, you're not thinking of all the things that can possibly happen, all the bad outcomes that can possibly happen. You're, you're not thinking that, well, what if, what if somebody's niece or, or, or nephew just happened to be over visiting? You know what I mean? You don't think about none of those things and, and all the scenarios that can possibly play out. And, and I, I thank God every day that none of those scenarios played out, but I, I do understand um, far better of how I got so much time uh, when I was sentenced. And, and, and I accepted, you know what I mean? It's just looking back on everything now, I'm, I'm not the young 21, 20, 20, 21 year old running around thinking he knew it all or how to beat everything. Looking, looking at it now, it, it, it just, it, as you get older, you know, you think better. You think way better. Priorities start changing a lot. That's that's definitely for sure. And then, um, yeah, that's crazy. Uh, so why don't you tell uh, tell us about your your early years um, going into prison and how how that was for someone so young? Like you said, thinking that you know it all. Um, you know, like how how did that work out? You know, did you have to be the biggest guy on campus? Were you able to kind of stay away from things? Like how how was that for someone so young and so new in there? Okay, so uh, for for those that don't know, I, I got this is how they sentenced you in Pennsylvania. I got two hundred and forty to four hundred and eighty months, uh, which equals in, in layman's term, I had twenty to forty years. That was my wow, sentence. That's a long time. And I think for me, I think for me, the thing that was my saving grace for prison, because my prison time wasn't bad. Unfortunately, I had to grow up in prison. But as far as as far as what you see in movies and stuff like that, yes, those things do happen. I'm just glad none of it ever happened to me. Um, I think my prison time went really well because when I came in, people could see, like, I, I, older inmates kind of looked at me as their son or could be their nephew or something like that. And people could see that I wasn't, I wasn't like particularly the street dude. You know what I mean? I, I kind of, I, I think my, my, my mind was kind of worldly, even though I did some stupid stuff, um, because I traveled the world as, as a military brat. Uh, I, I've been a whole lot of different places, and I got to see a lot of different things from different perspectives. So naturally, when, I don't want to say naturally, like, being in jail is a different environment from out in the world. Like, there's a lot of racism and segregation in prison amongst prisoners like you have you have black inmates that never talk to white inmates and so forth and so on and like my my view on a lot of things was i had a guy once ask me ev who put you in jail and my answer was i did his answer was no the white man did and i said no well i i did the crime so i'm paying the time and he was like no but your judge was white wasn't he i said yes he said well he didn't have to sentence you like that I said, maybe he did. You know what I mean? I, I, I can't, I, I don't think it was fair, but like I said, I, looking back as, as, I, as I grew older, I said, you know, you start looking at all the possibilities of dumb stuff that can possibly happen. So my, my way of thinking was really different from the majority of the population. Um, so I think a lot of older guys kind of gravitated towards me like, this kid still has a chance and we're we going to help keep him out of everything so he can get back home to his family. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, that sounds – you sound really fortunate in that area because it really sounds like and, – and based off of what you told us um, about your years growing up, it sounds like, you know, you weren't 
you weren't raised in a negative way and it didn't seem like you were like living a gangbang in life and getting away with it a bunch of times until that night you got caught. It just kind of seemed like you just really came up with a really, really dumb idea that made sense at the time. You know, like we've, we've all done it. We've all gotten away with them. Maybe not so extreme, but uh, uh, it just seems like you kind of just did a, a one night thing. And just unfortunately that, you know, it's very important for everyone to realize too, how just one night can change your entire life so quickly definitely uh when i'm talking to kids now i try and stress that all the time um but it, it is it is true one one bad one one bad decision can totally throw your life into a uh into a curveball it, it really can and then you like even though i'm at where i'm at now i still i still feel the effects of i'm always trying to prove or write the wrongs like like the biggest thing i get i think even maybe you told me one time um the biggest thing i get to this day that surprises people when they hear my story they they're like there's no way in hell <laughs> yeah no, uh, no way in hell you went to prison committed a crime or did that much time and i'm like i did i swear i did it's it's so crazy and and i'll just because you brought that up, I'm just going to kind of, and I'm just going to give our, our uh, listeners a little bit more backstory on Evan and I relationship. Um, we both like to play poker and we met at a poker table. And then from just chatting it up, realized that he's always wearing jujitsu gear. And um, I was um, still about, I think I was still, I was still my first year of sobriety. So anybody with anything fitness related, I just kind of gravitated to and he was just a big dude and you're just a friendly guy and you were so fun to talk to. And then I think I knew you for so long and like had told you my story and pieces and this and that. And you always right. told me you could relate to things. And one day when you just hit me with that story, I remember just telling my wife, it's like, no, <laughs> this is absolutely crazy. And this is why like you don't judge people. And this is why you shouldn't because like you're, you're just like, and I, I know we're kind of going off, but like, I, just knowing what I've known about you and knowing before your story, it's a perfect example of how someone can change because you have to hear that afterwards to even believe it. It's just, you, you, you just never could believe it after talking to you ever. It's just, it's right. beyond it's, it's out of this world. Right. Right. So, yeah. I, I appreciate that. But it's like you said, I think, I think, I think, I think prison uh, you know, it's funny. My client this morning asked me the same thing. He said, where would you be if you never went to prison? I said, that's a damn good idea. You know, I, I, said, I never thought about it like that. I said, hopefully I would think I would have been opening a jujitsu school somewhere and, and been doing my thing. Uh, but I said, I don't, I don't know. Because honestly, prison, growing up in prison year after year, it made me, it made me realize who I was. I, I realized I think by year three, <laughs> I wasn't Biggie and I wasn't Tupac. I was Evan Robinson. And, and Evan Robinson, all he wanted to do was get back to his family. You know what I mean? Yeah, 100%. And, and, and all, all the things, it, it took that. But all the things that my parents, my mother, my father, my aunts, my uncles, my grandparents, everything that I've heard growing up, it made sense. It was just unfortunate that I was away. So it's like every life lesson that they tried to teach me, I had to apply it in prison. I, I had to really apply it in prison. And, and it, it, that's, that's what made me, really, it made me see what I was capable of. Because also in prison, you see what other people are capable of. I've met some of the greatest artists. You would not believe the amount of artists, musicians, um, book writers, authors. You meet some really talented people who've done some stupid things. Unfortunately, some will never get the chance again to show the world what they were actually capable of. And then you have those like myself who, who aren't doing who aren't doing as much time or who 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 get a second chance. And those were the kind of guys that I, I while I was in prison, I tried to be around and let them know that hey, life is not over for us. We can do whatever we choose. Just you have to really want to do the right thing. And I, I really do. I, I appreciate going to prison, honestly. I really do. It, it, it just, it, it helps me see to this day what's really important and what's not. Definitely. 
and uh, I, I always tell people as well, it's very, and I, I think people, people in recovery as well, really, really understand that because I think once you, once you start to uh, grasp, gra- get a grasp on your recovery and you start um, working your own program or whatever, whatever you're doing, whatever your road may be, I think that's when you start to realize that you need to hold yourself responsible for your decisions and you start to realize that you can't move forward and become a better person until you realize who you were and you can't really regret it. I mean, it, it sucks. And we can kind of look back and be embarrassed of some of the things we did and we might regret some turnouts and regret, you know, hurting some people, whether physically, mentally, whatnot. But at the end of the day, we can't regret the decisions because they're going to make us who we are. It's like, you almost got to regret it without regretting it. If that can make any sense at all. No, it does. It it makes, it makes perfect sense. It, It makes perfect sense, bro. Yes. Yep. So, so uh, with with the way the legal system works, a lot of people know um, years get moved around good behavior. And it doesn't matter if you're, you know, the best person in there and you completely stay out of trouble. You're still going to do a lot of time. When you get sentenced to 20 to 40 years, you're still going to have to do a bunch of years. So um, I, I think for, for a bunch of people, and I think we all know people that have been in jail for a few years and might not have come out some hardened criminals or seeing the stuff we see on movies, but at the end of the day, 15 years is, is no joke. And that's, that's a long time for anybody at any age. So uh, why don't you tell us about how, what you did in prison to kind of stay fit, stay healthy, stay mental, and not get involved in everything going on around you? Okay. Well, the staying fit part is kind of easy in prison. <laughs> prison could be a really alpha male society. Um, uh, just like in the movies, when you see it, when you first go in, I, I mean, I, I was 170 pounds when I first got locked up. And as I came home, I was 230. And I, I think the reason why is, is is no one wants to be a victim in prison, per se. Like, no one wants to be taken advantage of. No one wants to be assaulted. Everybody wants to get their weight up and, and just be as big and strong as you possibly can be. So every, everybody, for the most part, works out. You, you got three yards a day and, and people do take advantage of working out. Um, after time goes on, it just becomes kind of like a lifestyle. You, you know what I mean? You just, you get used to working out and then you kind of like it. You start seeing results. And one day you're walking by somebody and they'll be like, excuse me, big guy. <laughs> and you're <just> like, <laughs> I'm big for real. And, and you, you know, it, that becomes part of you. It just, it just becomes a lifestyle. Um, but as far as being in there, I, I did the one thing that a lot of inmates do and don't realize, like, especially those that I, I've said, I've met so many talented people. Um, you read a lot. You, you read a hell of a lot. And you're reading and you, you try and find things that are, that you like to read about and subjects that are interest to you. And for me, um, I did like a lot of my time doing, even though I didn't have to, I mean, I've never, I've never had a substance abuse problem or anything, but I would still do, because uh, you get programming um, from when you first come in, your counselors and stuff assign you things you have to do in order to even think about making parole. So, uh, like, I had uh, anger management, um, stress and something. Uh, I even did AA classes uh just because, just I, I got a chance to listen to other people's stories and, and get a feel perspective of how other people, how other people uh, live and, and things they go through. Um, but you get a bunch of classes you go to, and besides that, uh, I'm truly blessed because, like I said, my mother was in the military, and my mother was also in law enforcement. My mother retired from the military and retired from law enforcement. So um, I always kind of knew right from wrong. <laughs> so, so I. Uh, Anything I wanted book-wise or educational-wise, she was on it. My aunts, um, I'm blessed to have a lot of aunts that are all retired school teachers. So when it, when it comes to education, if, if I wrote home and say, hey, can you get me a book on this? They, they would overnight it. So I, I, I got a lot of books. Um, I took uh, some college courses through the community colleges out there. You can do that correspondently. Uh, um, I, I took a few courses through Penn State for fiber optics and just all kinds of things that I possibly thought I can see myself doing. Uh, but one thing during all the reading, I, I had this book. I loaned it out, but I had this book called uh, Traits, Successful Traits 
and something of powerful people. And we've all heard this, this classic cliche. If you can find something you like doing and you can make that your job, then you'll never work a day in your life. Yes. And that's kind of how I got to with where I'm at now. Um, being that you work out all the time in prison, that just becomes like second nature to you. And my, my personality is always, I've always liked working with people and being around people. Um, so it was only natural that for me, my keys to success and what helped me get to me where I'm, where I'm at now is, is I have a book here. I don't know if I ever showed you that book. Um, I have a book here uh, that I wrote and not a book that I wrote like that, but a book where I was writing my notes on for myself where I was going to make it. And, and it was jujitsu, the gym and poker <laughs> were my three keys to success. And, and that's what I pretty much kind of focused on. And you see, I still focus on every day. Uh, and, and that's been my, my, my hobbies actually became my, my livelihood. And that's where I, I think it's true that, that the classic saying, if you can turn your hobby into a career, you, you never work a day in your life. That's so fortunate. That's such a blessing. And um, I think it's very, very, very important uh, for me to point out as well. Um, from hearing about your your years in there while you were trying to stay motivated, I know one of the first things that I learned when I started um, going to meetings and and trying to um, obtain that better lifestyle is they really tell you to kind of like use all of the tools in your tool belt and to try and and to use everything around you. And I think that's amazing to point out that you were able to do that in there uh going to aa meetings without even having a drinking problem but that's amazing to just understand people and just maybe know where they're coming from and it's crazy to think of you in an anger management program because i've never seen you not smiling like it's just <laughs> i i would almost i could almost see you uh like teaching or coaching an anger management class just making people laugh because it's it's crazy just I don't think I've ever seen you angry in the time I've known you and pokers usually brings anger out of people. Um, right. And then I think the most important thing to really point out is, is your support system and the fact that just utilizing them and being able to reach out to your mother and your aunts and being able to use those tools and just having people there for you, because I think where a lot of people, I don't want to say go wrong, but I think where a lot of people stray away is not feeling, um, the love and the support from those that are out there on the other side. And that doesn't even just apply to jail. Um, people in recovery, people in prison, just when you know that there's people on the other side that care and want to see you on the other side with them for the better, I think that's really, really motivating and it gives you all the tools you need. And, you know, some, sometimes it takes longer, whether it's because you're spending 15 years in jail or because you're spending 15 years um, abusing a substance, but I think the most important thing is um, just realizing that it's never too late and really just trying to stay focused and determined eventually when you are on that path um, and really utilizing those those people around you that are, are really giving you an opportunity to feed off of them um, because they only want to see us succeed, really, and that's all they ever want from us. Right. Very, very true. Very, very true. Very true. Um, it... it I, all I can say is I agree with everything you said 100%. <laughs> I, I, I try, I, I've, I've, I speak to guys all the time that are coming home and, and, and we, we try and keep those that maybe don't have the same support system. Let them know that, Hey, you can reach out to me anytime. Uh, if you're feeling down, whatever the case may be, just hit me up because you're right. It, it is very, very easy to fall back into, the silly stuff. It really is. Sometimes you need, sometimes you, you we all need people. We're human beings. We're, we're social people. Um, sometimes you just, you just need somebody to say, Hey, you know what? You can do it. There's nothing stopping you from doing it. Let's just get it done. Let's do it. And uh, that, that does play a major, a major role. I agree. We all need a kick in the ass and then a hug right after. That's what I always say. Yep. Yeah. You know, uh, I know you. Uh, I know you worked in a gym. You were. Uh, you were in a Golds, I believe, right when you got home. Is that right? Yes. Um. So when I came home, uh, when I first got home, I had to take any odds and end job. Um. 
at first was working for a place called Williams Metal Finishing, Polishing Metal. And at that, man, that was a rough gig, man. That was a rough gig. I used to get back, uh, I'd come home on a bus back before I had a car or anything, you know, coming out of jail, you, I, I had a bus pass. <laughs> I was at the halfway house and me and my bus pass were one, but coming out of that place every day, I, I have a whole different level of respect for coal miners. Uh, Cause that's what I would look like coming, sitting on a bus. Nobody wants to sit next to me cause I'm, I'm covered in soot and all kinds of, uh. but uh, when I got back to Lehigh Valley, I, I got a job at uh, one of those gyms, Max Fitness, one of the, franchise gyms in the area and uh from max fitness i moved over to golds and then from golds i kind of i kind of kept saying once i hit goals like it's time for me to do my thing i just wasn't sure like i think most uh as you say you take that leap of faith before you open your own business or whatever i was like can i do it i don't know should i do it maybe i know i can do this so i went back and forth with that for a little bit but uh yeah, one day, one day it really kind of hit me like, I can, I can do this. <laughs> and I, I, uh, I walked over to Wells Fargo, applied for a loan, and they gave it to me, and, and it was off and running from there. That's, really absolutely, that's absolutely amazing. Um, now, uh, I, most, uh, you know, very important, tell uh, all our viewers now, you, you have went from going from a man who spent 20 years in prison and a lot of people would just use that as an excuse and they would say, all right, let me just take this crappy job or let me just go out there and do this or let me do that. And they would just find anything to, to just kind of say that the world was thrown against them. But you turn that around and you go out and you become a business owner in downtown Bethlehem a very, very prestigious town. Um, it's known by people any, anywhere you go, all you got to do is say music fest. Uh, and, and that's, it's funny too, because you can go anywhere in the world and be like, Oh yeah, I own a gym in Bethlehem. Where's Bethlehem. Oh, you ever own, you ever been to music fest? Yeah. I'm like right in the heart of it. And like, that's, <laughs> that's where you're at. Like you're in Christmas city in the heart, man. Like that's, that's a blessing to like, it's, it's crazy to think. And, um, why don't you tell, why don't you tell our viewers and our listeners, about that gym and I know you're like obsessed with jujitsu. Let me just tell you, man, you can't talk to this guy for two minutes without him oozing jujitsu, whether it's <laughs> whether it's a t-shirt, a hoodie, a post on Facebook. I mean, it's and and the things I always it's when you can always count on Evan for a Facebook post and what you can always count on is something either jujitsu or somebody mashing out to some old school jamming R and B, something you probably <laughs> listened to when you were at Skateaway as a kid. And it's like, I can always count on you for those two things. It always hits my childhood. I can always see some dope jujitsu stuff. So why don't you tell us about, tell us about your love of jujitsu and being a gym owner and how those two things incorporate and how that all works together. All right. Well, um, jujitsu for me started before prison, before I got locked up. I had a good friend um, by the name of Joe Van Brackle who introduced me to jujitsu. And I met Joe because, like I said earlier, I was not the best fighter. I was not the best anything. Uh, and I always seemed to get in trouble because I would tell the truth. Like, people like, yo, you don't want to fight? And I'd be like, no, I don't. And that's the worst thing to tell to a kid when you're a kid is you don't want to be the one to fight because then they feel like they want to fight you. <laughs> and and there, was, there was this guy in Easton. His name was Joe. Um, and it was crazy because it's like that, that classic saying again, when you, when you got that, that one white guy in the hood that hangs with all the brothers, but all the brothers respect him, there's really something about him. And I've heard all these stories about the kickboxing and the karate and the, and the sidekicks. And so when I, when I finally met him one day, I met him at Larry Holmes' training center. He was, he was hitting a heavy bag and I was watching him hit this bag. And I, and I, I, I can't lie. This, this bag was literally folding around his this and I was like, oh Jesus Christ. No, excuse me. I was like, Jesus is doing his hard as hell. So I went up to him and approached him and I asked him, I said, Yo, are you Joe Van Brackle? And he's like, Yeah. And I see uh, all the stories and rumors true. Like it, it wasn't even a pride issue. I, I, I didn't care. I, I just, <laughs> We've all said that. that. And uh, <laughs> from that moment on, we were like brothers, man. He, he kind of took me under his wing. I said, I, You know, I said, Look, I can't fight, but can you, can you teach me how to fight? You, you know what I mean? I, 
seriously, I swallow my pride and everything. I, I, I see y'all. Can you teach me anything? Don't teach me how to throw a roundhouse kick or something. Just anything. So, uh, yeah, from that moment on, me and Joe were like inseparable. And as time went on, uh, we, we hit about 19, uh, let's see, uh, sometime right after the first UFC, uh, right before the first UFC, actually, Joe came up to me one day and he was like, bro, we learning the wrong stuff. There's no more kickboxing. These guys from Brazil, these guys from Brazil are just, they're, they're over here smashing people and they're not even throwing punches. And I was like, word? And, and I was like, I can't fight. This sounds cool. You tell me I could win a whole fight off my back and I, I don't have to throw a punch? Oh, I need to know that. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Joe introduced me to jujitsu. And uh, from that moment on, jujitsu kind of played a, uh, it's always played a part in my life because we had made a pact back in the day that we were going to live the jujitsu lifestyle. Uh, we were going to move out to California because that's when the Brazilians first came over to America. They stopped in Cali first. Um, we were going to try and get to the UFC and so forth and get our black belts and everything. And unfortunately for me, uh, back then I was so confused. Like I said, I was Biggie Smalls one day, Tupac the next, and myself on the, on the third. And I got myself in trouble and got locked up. And it, it was sad because... My buddy, I kind of let him down because we, we had made this pact to do this jujitsu thing together. So he went on, but I was fortunate. He never forgot me, ever. The entire time he was there, he was uh, sending me pictures from around the world from training and training with guys that are now legends. And and he was like, yo, when you come home, you got to get back into jujitsu. So I'm going to keep you, uh, I'm going to keep you um, updated on who's who right now and who's got the better style of jujitsu and the, the moves that we first learned, they don't even work anymore. Uh, you got to do it this way now. And It's crazy anything. to think how that works. Just like with any sport, with anything, it's like you learn something and then it's like, all right, you got to just untrain yourself and learn something new because yes. that's not the way to do it anymore. It's like, even, even the same thing, like we were talking poker, it's like, oh yeah, three bet this, raise this. Oh, nope. never mind. Don't do that. Oh, no. Nope. Raise five X. <laughs> nope. Now raise 2.5. It's like, make up your mind. What are we supposed to do? What's the right thing? Just tell me what I'm supposed to do. <laughs> right. So, uh, yeah, I, I was uh, I was really blessed that uh, I had the little bit of jujitsu knowledge, the six months of jujitsu I had under my belt, because it gave, it gave me a, more confidence than what I would have had when I first went in. You know what I mean? I, so when I first went in, man, I, I was like, man, I'm in prison, man. This sucks. <laughs> like I, I can't fight and I hope nobody really wants to try and find that out you know what I mean <laughs> but uh with the little bit of jujitsu I had it gave me a, a different kind of confidence and a, and, a, and a way of holding my head a little higher and uh I've always respected martial arts overall because of the things they can do for you I'm, I mean I'm a little biased when it comes to jujitsu but martial arts as a whole it just it teaches you so many things in life and and gives you so many uh so many different elements like for for me it was a confidence thing and and never giving up type attitude that you learn um so i appreciate it for that and uh that's 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 really why i'm so big into jujitsu and for myself my own personal journey um as far as the gym the gym came about uh the gym <laughs> One, like I said, I like working out. I've always enjoyed it. I loved it. And it gives me an outlet because I'm a people person. I love being around people. I love being able to help people. And I was like, this is perfect. It's not, it's not even like it's a job for me. I mean, I work out every, well, almost every day, four days a week. Anyway, if you wanted to work out with me, I'd be like, yo, let's do it. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and, and to get paid to do it, I was like, oh, this is, this is even better. So, uh, free money. <laughs> so, uh, with the help, with the help of, I, I've always had a very go-getter spirit attitude, as you know. But with the help of my lady too, um, anything I was blessed since coming home. I've I've, I've only met two. I've, I've met two ladies, and one didn't work out, which was a good thing, I guess, and and led me to my to my to my lady now. And every time I, I've I've come up with an idea. No, it, it, no matter how silly to me or it could sound to other people, she's she's one of the firm believers. And if you think you can do it, do it. 
And I'm like, all right, let's do it. And when lose, draw, or have to remix this plan, she was always like, ah, try again tomorrow. <laughs> 100%. So that helps. That that always helps to have somebody, your 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 other half, that's whatever you come up with, that person's like, ah, well, let's, you might be able to do it this way. If we can't get it done that way, let's, let's try and redo it this way. Or hold that thought, we'll come back two months from now and try it again this way. So that that's also a a a good push to why I am where I am because I I have no problem going after something and it only speeds up the process when like you said you have somebody in your corner that's who's actually pushing you just as hard as you're pushing yourself to get it done. Yeah, yeah, there's a the to the, shout out to the ladies, to the women, to the wives, fiancés, girlfriends, to the real ones out there who really just motivate us kick us in the ass and uh never let us give up and to the ones that really tell us that those stupid ideas are great ideas even if they are stupid ideas stupid. <laughs> um it's it's just amazing because you know this podcast was one of them and you know a couple friends probably said who's actually going to want to be on your show who's actually going to listen to your show who's going to do this who's going to do that and um i mean I, I don't know the answer to those questions but my wife said the hell with it go for it what's the worst that can happen and right. um, you know it's and and here we are, and this is, hey, we're going for it. And you got to do that with anything. You can't, you, uh, well, you know, Gretzky, we were just talking about this last night with someone else. Gretzky always said, uh, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Well, you yes. just got to keep taking shots. And whatever works, it works. That's true. That's real true. You can't be afraid to fail. No, there's no such thing as, you know, funny, see, you lead me back to jiu-jitsu. And <laughs> jiu-jitsu, we say you either win or you learn. And it's the truth. Uh, one of the reasons when you compete, I, 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 I tell this to the young guys, younger guys in the gym now that, that come and train or whatever. And they say, Ev, uh, what's it like competing? I said, there's nothing like competing because I, th what I'm going to tell you is you're either going to get out there and do your thing and you're going to come home and you're going to win. And if you don't win, you still won because whatever you got submitted with, I'm pretty sure when you get back the next day, you're going to drill that you're going to practice that you're going to, that. You might get submitted again, but it's not going to be the same way that it happened the first time. It's just not. <laughs> and it makes you all around better martial artist. So you say you win or you learn. Yeah, you just got to just gotta keep going out. You just got to keep putting in the work. Right. Um, now, uh, what can you tell? Or actually, I, I want to look back. Um, I saw something about uh, a scholarship that was started. Is that still a thing? Is that still going? Yes, right now um, I started the Robinson Van Brackle Jiu-Jitsu Scholarship Fund. Um, that was brought up about because of, of I, I, I believe in giving back. I, I give back a lot, but this is, this is my big baby. Uh, I, just, I, I started this nonprofit to put kids that could be potentially bullied, or if I find a kid that was bullied, or just a kid all around who, who, who always said about trying jiu-jitsu, and maybe parents just can't afford it. My thing is to put and introduce to jujitsu to as many children that I possibly can. So I started the Robinson's uh, jujitsu, uh, excuse me, the Robinson Van Brackle uh, Jujitsu Scholarship Fund to to help do that. And what I do is I I take out of my own pocket and donations, whatever I get. Uh, they all 100% go to the child for. Uh, the gym for lessons, uh, the geese, whatever, whatever the kid may need to to do jujitsu, and uh, I got a three a three person board, and when we find a child, we we talk about if, if this child is better than that. And all child children are good. It's just requirements are. I sometimes get this. Uh, Ev, I got a friend who whose son wants to do jujitsu, uh, but the mom can't. Whatever. And then I was, so it was the mom working and so forth and so on. And they'd be like, yeah, mom has two jobs and so forth and so on. So we, we don't just discriminate. We try and help out where we can. But if there's another child who, who can't or doesn't have the means, whose parents aren't working or something like that, those are the kids we kind of look at first to uh, get in there. Right now it's kind of on hold because COVID hit. Uh, our first guy, Raiden, our little guy, he, he was going well, and he can't wait. I just talked to him the other day. He can't wait to start doing jujitsu again. 
Um, the school he was at, I don't think their kids' classes are up and running at the moment because of COVID. Um, just having adults there that come out, most of them are just sick of being in the house. So they're like, I'm, I'm just going out. <laughs> uh, but as soon as we start, I'm hoping 2021, uh, as soon as some of this clears up, hopefully we get to a new normal and it's right back at it, man. It's, it's trying to give kids uh, that feeling that you just get, it gives to me to this day. To this day, it's just introduce them to it and, and hope they can pick up some of the lessons and confidence and how to overcome and just constantly wanting to get better and, and do their thing. Do their thing. Yes, that's 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 so amazing and that's such a blessing that you're doing that and being able to give back and you know the kids are so fortunate and uh shout out uh Raiden can't wait till you get to get back in there. Um I know you have an awesome teacher because you couldn't be learning from anyone better because this guy just wants to show everything that he knows and anybody that wants to hear and learn anything this guy wants to share with you. So Raiden, you couldn't be luckier, buddy. Um and um I wanted to talk about, you actually even kind of mentioned like overcoming. Um, now the scholarship is also named after uh, your buddy, Joe Van Brocko, who yes. I saw who is unfortunately no longer with us. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah. Um, I'll say Joe had, a, I don't want to call him depressed, but towards the end, he was, he, he was a little depressed. Joe had some injuries um, through jujitsu uh, hips. And this comes naturally, especially when you're a high level competitor. Um, your knees, your shoulders, especially the hips. That's just some years and years of competing and jiu-jitsu and tournaments and fighting and so forth and so on. So uh, roughly around 2016, Joe had something, uh, what do they call it, carpartmental syndrome. And it's like, it's like his body started attacking his own body. And it really, it really put him on the sideline for a while. For a brief moment there, it was touch and go. He was, he was in the hospital. He was really bad from this, this carpartmental syndrome. So Joe, unfortunately, became a side effect of, uh, I forget what it's called, but when you go to the hospital and get addicted to the pain meds, I, I forget what that's called, but the, the drugs that they had him on, it became, a, it became a thing. Like he would call me and say, bro, can you take me to go get my uh, prescriptions? I'm like, didn't we just do that? Like, the other day? Yeah, and like he became he had, dependent on the opioids. Yes. So it it, it just, it kind of spiraled out of control. It kind of spiraled out of control and it, and it and it did fast, unfortunately. And one of the last talks I had, matter of fact, the, the day the day before he, uh, he committed suicide, but the day before he passed, he was like, I, I feel like, he felt he should have been in a better spot. I mean, Joe was one of the first jujitsu black belts coming from the Lehigh Valley. He traveled the world and 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 trained with the best. Got his black belt from arguably the GOAT, one of the best BJJ guys in the history of Earth. Uh, he uh, all he wanted to do was eat, sleep, train, and repeat. <laughs> That's it. That's it. And and and. And he was well on his way, but after, after that, that carpartmental syndrome, after we, after he dealt with that, it was just prescription after prescription after prescription. And he always felt like I should, I should have a school by now and, and, and I, sh I should be more. And, uh, me and my lady, we were working on a plan for him. It, it's crazy. We, that, that same week we was working on a plan. We was going to open a school for him, let him teach and train. And I, I was gonna train under him. And uh, unfortunately we never got a chance to do that because he, one night he just, he just took all his pills and just took them all. It's so sad, man. It's so sad. Um, and uh, I'm sorry to make you talk about that, but uh, it's, I, I think I stumbled upon that um, last night uh as i told you earlier just doing like a little bit of um i guess like homework so to speak um and i i saw without hearing those details i i knew that he was i knew the unfortunate um but it's just so important again for everybody here too because that's just a perfect example of someone who was at like a peak in the highest of highs and unfortunately you know that 
that road of um, addiction can just really sneak up on you. And for someone who never showed signs, never did those things growing up, it's just scary to think that it can just like hit you out of nowhere. And it's, um, I can only imagine for someone like you being on the sideline as well, just seeing it happen is probably terrifying because it works both ways. It's like he was able to help you or he, he was there your entire um, tough times. And I think that's really awesome how you're honoring him with that scholarship when he can't be with us anymore. That's just, you know, I'm, I'm sure he's like super happy and smiling down. It's just like a huge blessing for us all. Right. Yeah. That, 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 that definitely, he, he was my guy. He, uh, when, when it, when it, when it comes to getting things done, he always had a, an attitude towards only person stopping you is yourself. You know what I mean? He would drive that home all the time. Like never shortchange yourself, shortchange the next man, but never shortchange yourself. So, uh, watching him pursue jujitsu and the 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 entire training, the art, boxing, everything the way he did, it's always inspired me. Like, like I always say, I keep, I can't be lazy. It's kind of how I inspire other people. I tell them, you have to look in that mirror every day. The only person stopping you is you. <laughs> you can do it. it. The question becomes, do you, how bad do you really want to do it? For sure. And, uh, yeah, no, it, he, uh, he, he definitely helped change uh, uh, a lot of the, the, the way I look at things and how I, I move. But yeah, he's, he's definitely missed. Uh, I, I actually dedicated my, when I got my blue belt, I dedicated my blue belt to him. I, I, I have it sit with it. It's here with his ashes. Um, supposed to get out to San Diego next time I go out there and, and sprinkle his ashes, but COVID kind of shut everything down. So <laughs> We're just we're just here chilling. Kind of crazy too, because talk to him sometimes. I'd be wondering if he'd be listening. <laughs> uh, I'm I'm sure he definitely is, brother. Especially, cause, I mean, he, you guys have always been. It seems like you guys have always been there for each other since uh since teenagers. So, I I feel like I can almost say with 100 percent certainty that he he's definitely listening to everything. Um, and he's even smiling down on you right now, brother. You speak so highly of him. Um, now uh, this is. So as, as we wrap up our, um, our first episode here, um, this is something that I kind of want to, I think, do with my future episodes, but I can't say I've done it with past episodes because this is the first one. So um, <laughs> we're just going to kind of see how this goes. Uh, so the, uh, the first question, obviously, everything is wrapped around um, fitness and sports and all that. So uh, off the top of your head, top three to five athletes all time, your personal favorite. My personal favorite top three athletes all time. Three to five, if you can't squeeze in just three. I'll let you. I know this is tough. No, this is tough. Top three athletes? I have a feeling one of them, their last name is going to be Gracie. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. Uh, top three athletes all time. Man. Oh, wow. Holy shucks. Well. And it's not because I train under the the affiliate or the lineage, but uh, yeah, yeah, and, um, yeah. Believe it or not, I I would definitely say I got to give a shout shout out to Hoist Gracie. <laughs> Gracie, <laughs> on, on, that was coming on the first one only because you when you when you look at jujitsu like what he did for me. What his father's art has done for me is, when you see a skinny guy beating all these big guys, and he didn't throw one punch or kick, and and he's tapping these dudes out, the way he flipped martial arts upside down was unbelievable. I mean, the entire martial arts community, everybody had to take a step back. Karate experts, judo, everybody had to take a step back and say, what in the heck just happened here? <laughs> so, so... I say Hoyce Gracie, uh, shout out to UFC one. Uh, I, I'd say a, another guy, another guy, top three. Um, these two, well, one's considered the GOAT, so I'll say him first. I would say LeBron James. Yes. And, and the reason why I say LeBron James is not just because of all the, the things he's done on the court. The, the dude, is, it's, it's, it's his time. Like, I grew up with Michael Jordan, but Jordan era has passed. Unfortunately, Kobe passed. Um, LeBron James has won me over literally since 
Hurricane Katrina, per se. Um, I've always, the way he's handled his outside, the basketball, his, his, his personal life is, is amazing to me. He's, he's always been one of the front runners of if there's a disaster, I notice like with Katrina, instead of waiting to donate to these charities that are, to me are in question, he, he gets his own drivers and, and loads up the trucks and gets the water and sleeping bags and, and, and takes his check and, 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 and go buy. I mean, sure, he gets a big check, but he, he goes out there himself and passes out flashlights, batter, you name it, what people need, he helps out. And he's been doing it for a very long time. He's been doing it since he first got in the league. And when I look at like the, the charter school, the school he has, his academy, uh, the 200 plus kids so far that he's put through college, uh, of course, there's probably some of the help of the sponsors and stuff, but what that man does off the basketball court needs to be, it, 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 he needs to stand and get applauded for because if everybody in the world did what he did, the world, what he does, the world would be such a better place. It's, it's just, it's unbelievable the amount of stuff he does off the basketball court. And so, I can only imagine that Andre Iguodala probably has like Candyman syndrome. Every time he looks in the mirror, he probably still sees LeBron right behind him. <laughs> that man will never sleep the same. <laughs> <laughs> so I, 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 I you know, LeBron James probably he's going he's going definitely he's definitely up there and another guy here's another guy who I totally respect he's in the well he's retired from the NFL and uh, I'm a diehard Giants fan to the end but once again it's another one of those guys who who I truly respect and and not because he was a professional NFL player just because of what he did off the field it was work done um, work done um, he grew up with a single mother. And as a way of honoring his mother, he has every year to the present day from when he started football and he's been retired now for how many years and he still does it to this day. His work done takes that, that check, that football check. And every, every year he finds two families. He finds two, uh, tries to find two single moms, single parents that are, that are, might be struggling and he goes out. And he, and he, if they're in school for something, he'll pay for the schooling. Um, he'll help. He's bought homes. He, he goes above and beyond the call of duty to help out total strangers, total strangers. He has no ties to, to help put them in a better position to be successful. And I, I say again for, uh, it's, it's amazing because I, I think for all the people who are in positions the A-Rods of the world and who make, and it's not just sports people. This is, I mean, this is these company owners. You, you own a 200 million, uh, you got Bezo, <laughs> you own Amazon. You know how much good you can do for the world? Not, I mean, for the world, if you just, you could take a small percentage of what you make and change whole communities, change lives completely. For the better, and 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 people that do it, these are the people that stand out to me. Is people who, who have it and just and just and help others. That's amazing, amazing. Because uh, work done was not the highest. What was the running back, right? He yeah, wasn't, he wasn't the highest paid running back. No, definitely. I mean, and the guy, he was he was good, but I don't even think there was ever a point where he was even like a top five running back in the league. He was just exactly. always good. He was never even great. Exactly. And I, and I say to myself, how, how does this man, this man do that? And you got these superstar athletes out there who, who make God knows what. And, and they're always complaining about, oh, it's never enough money. It's never enough this. It's never enough that. I'm like, bro, you should be blessed. Not, not saying if you don't deserve, you should always try and strive for everything you can get or do, but Still, I I agree with you. I agree with you. I, and I've always been one of those too. It's uh, you know, I've always believed like the athletes fair market value. I understand the holdouts and this and that, but I couldn't agree with you more. When you're on when you're on a platform and a pedestal like that, um, to be able to give back is just 
it's really a blessing and to really use that. And it's, it's really fortunate. And I think it's really, really cool. You know, there's, there's a lot of big names that do it and they do it in front of the cameras and whatnot. But, um, I actually, I knew that work done story and it's crazy. I was actually just telling someone this recently within like the last month or two. And when I was telling the story, I was like, yeah, I heard it from someone I can't remember, but just hearing you tell it and hearing how passionate you are, I feel like we've talked about this before and you're probably the one that I heard that story from because it's sound in my head. I'm just hearing it the same exact way I heard it the first time. Right. Um, right. So, uh, last question we're going to have, uh, to wrap up here with us. Um, or, or, oh, I'm sorry. Sorry. Uh, real quick. Tell us, do you, uh, your most, if you're, if you're not too shy, your most embarrassing, um, funniest jujitsu story you have for us. My most embarrassing, funny jujitsu story, uh, probably at my last tournament. Um, okay. All right. So, so I'm a blue belt. I'm working, uh, well, hopefully soon this month, next month, I'll be a purple, but if not, I'll, the following year, um, I, I'm in a tournament and, I, and I'm in this guy's closed guard. It's a position in jujitsu. And, uh, and he, he had like a vice-like grip on my collar and this, and, and I'm in his closed guard and, and I could not break his grip for nothing. And I'm trying to get out of his guard. And for the life of me, I don't know why I thought about uh, submission that they use in wrestling. I, we also use in jujitsu called a can opener and it's illegal for blue belts to do this. Well, because of neck compressions, I mean, you could really hurt somebody. But I, I, the only thing I thought about at the time was I put him in a can opener, and uh, he started tapping, and I, was, I, I stood up like I won the match. <laughs> oh, man. Because I thought I did. I, I, I didn't know you couldn't do it. And, uh, and the ref looked at me, and, and I looked at the guy, and the guy looked at me and was like, bro, you can't do that. And, and then and I, and I looked up my friends in, in the – over on my side of the table and, and, and my boy said F I think that was illegal and uh, I was like what happened and uh, yeah they deducted some points and I lost the match uh, but lesson learned and I, I told dude I apologized all day because I, I wasn't trying to hurt him I, I just in my mind I seen the submission and, and I was like oh I can win this match easily and uh, yeah that, that was quite embarrassing because I thought I won <laughs> I could I'm almost like picturing your head like standing up like arms up like let's go and everybody was looking at him like like that quiet gym moment like does this guy know that he's not gonna win like yeah, that's, that, that's kind of that's kind of how I went down <laughs> that that was uh yeah that was a moment <laughs> <laughs> you'll, you'll get it back though and uh good luck on uh chasing you said purple is the next goal yes Yes, yeah, so um, hopefully, hopefully this month or I mean not this month, November, um, November, and if, if not this year, then definitely next year. But uh, I, I enjoy the ride. I enjoy the ride. You just do the very long process, man. From white to black is about a ten year. It's about a ten to fourteen year average for some, but I say on average about ten years. That's awesome, and uh, it's funny too because that was my third and final question of this wrap up: is uh, what's your next fitness goal? But when you started talking about the purple belt, I felt like that just sounded like it right there because. Uh, <laughs> I know, I know, uh, I know how passionate you are. So, uh, good luck with that, brother. Um, Thank you. So, why don't you? Uh, we're gonna go ahead and uh, wrap up here. Why don't you uh, tell all of our listeners and viewers how they can follow you, how they can find you for anybody local? Why don't you throw your gym address? Like, go ahead here. Uh, go ahead and plug the hell out of yourself real quick. All right, well, I appreciate it. Um, if you're looking for a one-on-one -on -one personal training uh, studio, I have a small studio called Three Six E Fitness. Um, I'm located at 559 Main Street in Bethlehem, PA, 18018. Uh, most people know that address is Brewworks. Uh, I'm located directly below Brewworks on Broader Main. And uh, uh, my, all my social media, all my handles are the same thing. Evan Robinson. Evan, Evan Robinson. Look for Evan Robinson. Uh, you'll, find, you'll find me on Instagram. You'll find me on Facebook. Uh, <laughs> you find me on Twitter. Everything is my name. Um, or you can always look 36E Fitness. All, all my, my, my gym stuff is same thing, named after the gyms. Sim simple name. Um, so, yeah, I thank you for having me, bro. I, I, I thank you for doing this, and uh, I can't wait till we do it again. Yeah, absolutely, brother. And uh, thank you for being uh, our first guest here on, um, on uh, Staying Fit One Day at a Time. And, um, yeah, we're going to definitely catch you soon, brother. Yes, sir. Yes, I can't wait.
Thank you for tuning in today, everybody. And I definitely want to thank again, Evan, for uh, popping in today and uh, sharing his story with us. Um, Experience, strength, and hope. It's just one hell of a story and uh, one hell of a background that man has come from. And to do, you know, 15 years in prison and still turn your life around and to be living it with such positivity um, that he just spews into the world is just unbelievable. It's just an understatement. Anything you're hearing from me um, just doesn't even compare uh, to just the person that he is in person. Um, like I said, it's just, it's a huge honor to call him a personal friend of mine, um, more than anything. And again, I want to thank him for being the first guest on our show. Um, just a true example of what this show is going to be about, um, and all of our further guests and can't wait to be back next week on our next episode until then, everybody just know you're loved and stay healthy, stay fit and make sure you do that one day at a time.